Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Heath Adams, who's also known as the Cyber Mentor on social media. Heath is the founder and CEO of TCM Security, which is an ethical hacking and cybersecurity consulting company. And while Heath is an ethical hacker he, and he leads the TCM security consulting business, he also loves to teach, and that's part of TCM's offering. We're going to talk to Heath about how he got his start in cybersecurity, what is ethical hacking, and about some of his courses, and probably a lot more. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Heath. Heath, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing? Pretty good. Whereabouts are you located? Uh, I'm in New Mexico, actually. All right. How's the, how's the weather down there? Uh, it's cold right now, but normally pretty warm. Okay, so what is cold for you? Okay, because <laughs> I'm up in the Pacific Northwest. We might, I'm not North Dakota, I'm not Manitoba, but but you know, it's all relative. So what's cold for you? Sure, thirties uh, ish, a uh, little bit of snow on the ground, but uh, it's I would say that's atypical. That's that yeah, that is cold, and typically this time of the year is it springtime and sunny and seventy, or what is it about? Uh, usually. 40s, 50s, I'd say, just typically pretty windy around this time of year, just because it's so so flat between the mountains. Oh yeah, hey, I, you know, one of the things with the Northwest, we, we we get a lot of cold, damp weather, and it's kind of dark and dreary. Whereas, like I've you know I've lived in other places, for example, in Japan or in Korea, where January, February are really cold, a lot colder than than, than you and I are talking about. But the sun is out every day, and it makes a big difference. Do you get a lot of sunshine down there? Yeah, I think we get over 300 days of sun out here. So even when it's like 40 or 50, it feels like it's 70 uh, most days. So That's nice. nice. Makes it easy to yeah. get up and get going, right? For sure, yeah. yeah. So, hey, let me ask you. I mean, you have this um, amazing presence on social media. I think that you've taught um, over 170,000 students. And on YouTube, you have close to a half million subscribers. You're also on, on other uh, platforms, including Udemy and Twitch. And, you know, it's amazing. I looked, some of your videos have over 3 million views. Given the fact that cybersecurity, security, it, it's not like, a, you know, a Mr. Beast topic. It's, this is a kind of a, a relatively narrow niche. Um, and the, the fact that you have those kind, that, that big of a number of subscribers and that many views is, you know, that's, that's re really commendable. I want to talk about that. But first, how did you get started in this space? Yeah. Uh, so I actually have a weird background. I feel like a lot of people do for cybersecurity. Uh, I came or started out as an accountant and just quickly realized that it wasn't for me. So uh, I went back to the drawing board um, and figured out that I was pretty passionate about computers. Uh, my first operating system, I should say, oh, uh, Windows uh, 98 was was mine, actually 95. And um, I used Prodigy back in the day before AOL. So I've been using a computer for, for a very long time. I think I got my first one when I was four years old. So it was one of those things that was really comfortable for me, but I never thought about making a career out of. Mm -hmm. uh, and eventually I just dropped everything one day uh, and just literally quit my job, turned in my keys at lunch and tried to figure out something something different. So that's, that ended up me moving from the middle of nowhere to, to New Mexico. And I ended up just finding a job when I got out here working help desk. And uh, I was able to to just study. And when I was working help desk, got a bunch of certifications. And one of my coworkers said to me, do you know that you can get paid to be an ethical hacker? And I had never even heard of that. I was interested in cybersecurity. Hey, but nice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I always thought that at that point, it was just a bad person in a hoodie, like every stereotype <laughs> you, you could think of. And I just immediately became obsessed with the idea. So I went online and just started researching, okay, 
what kind of training do I need? What kind of skills do I need? What certifications are out there for this? And just started putting together a roadmap and slowly checked off that roadmap until I got hired as uh, as an ethical hacker in the field. So awesome. kind of just uh, wound up there. Well, in I'm for those listeners or viewers who don't know, uh, maybe you can explain what ethical hacking is. And then what did it take for you to actually become qualified to become an ethical hacker? Yeah, so uh, ethical hacker is somebody that gets paid to break into organizations. So it's legal, legal hacking. And there's various forms of it. There's uh, network based, whether it be like external or inside a network, there's web applications are really heavy cloud, even physical. So literally going to a building and trying to break into it. Uh, so there's all different forms of what we call ethical hacking. And uh, the transition for me from start to, to pen tester was about two years. And it was just honestly just grinding out the foundational skills. I think is the most important uh, learning like your A plus skill set or your help desk skill set, learning your your basics and foundations of networking. I went and got a net plus and a CCNA. Uh, learning your security concepts, your basic security concepts. I went and got a security plus. Uh, understanding Linux. I went and got a Linux plus. Not that it was necessary, but just uh, getting these foundations down. Understanding coding languages. So I went and learned Python and just started building those foundations and then utilize that to start learning, okay, what is ethical hacking? What are the foundational skills within ethical hacking and how do I utilize those to become uh, a pen tester, essentially, or penetration tester? And and what are some of those um, foundational skills required to become a pen tester? Yeah, so within the field itself, uh, it really breaks down to five items. They have uh, the the intelligence gathering, open source information, um, and, and reconnaissance. Uh, that's step one. So learning how to go and do what we call OSINT or how to look up a, an organization. For example, I might be interested in finding out who an organization's employees are, what their email format is, uh, what their known breaches were in the past, or if they have any emails or users tied to known breaches, regardless if it's tied to their business account or their personal account. And then how can we use that information against them? Uh, the next thing is scanning and enumeration. So mm -hmm. it is, hey, how do we, what do we look for when we're scanning? So uh, when we're scanning them, do they have any specific ports open? Are those ports known vulnerable? Uh, are there services running on those ports that are vulnerable? More likely, are there login panels that we can utilize that information we gathered in the first step? And, and then we move on to what's called the exploitation phase. So how do we exploit against them? Is it logging in? Uh, what do we do once we're logged in? Uh, so we have like post post-compromise, post-compromise enumeration. You kind of repeat the process again uh, until you get to this, this cleanup phase of, of getting rid of everything that you've, you've done and making sure that everything's back to normal before you uh, close the books out. So um, yeah, you just, you pick up those skills and you learn different. It's really, for me, the most important thing is the methodology because tools mm -hmm. change all the time. So uh, you can learn a favorite tool and then somebody will stop supporting it because most of these are just open source. And then you have to go find the next tool or the better tool and, uh, so it's really understanding the methodology between different types of, of pen testing or hacking uh, that are required and learning those foundational methodologies that are really important. Awesome. Hey, uh, you know, you said you got your start as an accountant and one day you just realized this is not for me. And it sounds like you had the opposite experience with ethical hacking. And, you know, during the, the, those early um, days and you were, when you were doing this as a, on a full-time basis, 
did you ever just say, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, and do you have a particular story where like you were working on one, you know, with one customer or one situation where you, you were able to kind of like solve something or see something or present some evidence to you or findings to your customer. And you're like, this is awesome. Yeah, we, we get, I'd say one or two of those really cool ones a year. Um, for me, yeah, it, it was one of those things where when I was working as an accountant, I dreaded going into work. And the hours were really long and I had a pretty close to an hour drive to where I was working. So I would go in when it was dark, I would leave when it was dark. And it was just one of those things where I was pretty much miserable. And then for hacking, it, it was quite the opposite. I could sit here for 12 hours and just hammer away. And I would think an hour had gone by. That's what wow. it felt like. So awesome. I was really just enjoying myself. Yeah. And it's still true to this day. It's one of those things that I'm excited to wake up and be passionate about. And I, I get excited about some assessments. So that's really good. Um, yeah, for, for me, I can tell you one that happened pretty recently where uh, we were going up against an organization and we were doing what's called an internal pen test. So an internal pen test basically means that uh, you're testing against an organization from within the inside. So this could be assumed breach or somebody comes and drops a laptop off, something along those lines. And so we typically do some attacks against Active Directory because Active Directory is mostly used internally in organizations. Uh, and there's a lot of out-of-the-box attacks for Active Directory that are just quick wins. Um, none of these out-of-the-box attacks are really working. There was one that was working kind of that was called it's called LMNR, um, and it's link local cast multi-name resolution. So essentially what it does is we can sit in a man-in-the-middle position and capture hashes of users. Mm -hmm. uh, these hashes, if they're weak, if there's a weak password policy, you can take these hashes offline and crack them. Uh, a lot of pen tests I've been on, we've been able to just crack a, a password. It ends up being domain administrator, and you compromise the domain in, within seconds. Um, for this one, not as easy. It was one of those that... We were getting passwords, but the ones that we were cracking were low-level users, and they were doing a lot of things right. Uh, their low-level users did not have admin access on the network, did not have admin access to their local machines. Um, so they were tiering accounts and separating permissions and uh, role-based access, essentially, at least privilege, and doing a lot of right things. They also had uh, detection within the network, so we were trying to evade that as well. And I stumbled upon a user that, for some reason had access to every single share. Um, <laughs> why that was, who knows, but I, I started digging around and I was able to find uh, the shares of the domain administrators. And they actually had kept their shares pretty clean as well. They had policies internally that we later found out were uh, against, like they had rules against actually putting stuff in these shares. Uh, but I was able to uncover some installation guides that were pretty old. And one was for a Mac installation guide that within the guide itself had a username and password. Uh, so it was an administrator password uh, with that for the Mac setup. And I said, you know, I'm just going to try this password uh, so we can do what's called a, a sweep of a network and we can pass the password essentially. Mm -hmm. So I took this username and password and just passed it to every single computer that was on the network to see, hey, can we get a login event anywhere? Uh, we were able to get one login onto one computer within that network. We were able to go in, and because we were an administrator, we were able to dump hashes off of this computer. Uh, we were able to dump the hash on that computer and actually see in clear text, for some reason, they had a service running on that computer um, that was being stored in clear text and running as domain administrator. So even though the password was good, we were seeing it in clear text, we were able to go log into the domain controller. And here's a company that's doing pretty much everything right, 
and all it takes is one little tiny mistake or one little out of the box configuration. Uh, and then you just start to have these tiny mistakes stack up. And yep. if you kill one of those in the chain, uh, you know, you could have easily stopped me at that point. And it's just like the little things that you don't know about until you have a security assessment like this. Uh, and some of that outside the box thinking, those are the puzzles that we we love to to try to play that kind of cat and mouse game and see how we can get around the, the protections there in network. So um, we get probably one to two good stories like that a, a year. And most of them seem to be pretty boilerplate nowadays. But um, yeah, it's it's super fun when you when you get those kind of uh, engagements. That's an excellent story. And it does sound like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there's, there's an accountant on another podcast right now that was talking about, he got, he got his start in pen testing and ethical hacking and decided he hated it <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and become an accountant, you know, but, uh, I, you know, cause there are people in forensic accounting, for example, that it, it's also kind of like a, you know, a cat and mouse detective game as well. But, um, that's, that's awesome. Hey, so how did you go then from, you know, becoming an ethical hacker, doing pen testing, and then uh, creating uh, your own courses? Yeah, so there was a, a weird transition there where I just started, uh, we started a 501c3 called VeteranSec, uh, which was for uh, helping people that were either current or former military transition into cybersecurity. Um, and, and so as part of that, I started just filming these really crappy videos and just putting them on YouTube. So um, just basics of those foundational skills. Like I would think I was calling it like Linux for hackers or networking for hackers and just learning and teaching the foundational skills to these people. So that way, if they wanted to transition into cybersecurity, they had these videos and resources available to them. Uh, well, that ended up taking off pretty, pretty quickly. And uh, what was happening was clients were starting to come to the organization that I was working for at the time. And they were asking them, Hey, does, does Heath work here? And if he does, can we do a pen test with him? And mm -hmm. so I was never seeing any kickback or any commission and a little bit of kickback goes a long way. Sure. Uh, so the light bulb went off for me that, Hey, it's probably time that we can, we can go out and try to do this on our own. So um, I came up with some plans and made YouTube videos about like, I'm quitting my job. Here's the strategy behind it. And here's what we're going to see. We had six months uh, of savings saved up, essentially, plus some credit cards if I was willing to go in debt and uh, just just took the risk and went out there. And um, it's been all inbound marketing. The clients have come and um, we've been pretty successful since. It, it's interesting because you said you started off by just posting some quote unquote crappy videos out on YouTube. And then, you know, when you decided to go pro and do this full time, what changed in terms of, you know, the, how you structure the content or the type of content? And I guess what I'm asking is, what makes a good engaging course? Yeah, so quitting allowed me to have more free time uh, to start going through these courses. So uh, the first course that I released was called Practical Ethical Hacking, and that was over 25 hours of just video content. Uh, so the amount of time behind the scenes that went into recording and editing and putting that all together was pretty immense. Um, and for me, what it was, was taking all the experiences that I had with training previously and compiling all the things that I hated uh, <laughs> and, and putting that, you know, putting the good into a course, essentially. So uh, not, not long video format. There was one course I went through where it was like literally a guy reading off of a PowerPoint for four hours at a time. And um, I wish I was kidding about that, but like short, digestible videos, uh, easy to understand, and then teaching and the whole reason it's called practical is because teaching the practical side of things like 
I got absolutely destroyed in interviews. I got when I got to my job, I didn't know what I was doing. And I took the training that was supposed to be the standard for setting you up to be a pen tester. And it was more, hey, go read blogs, go figure it out, just getting dropped into environments. And uh, so it became, well, what if I put all this together and compile these these notes of what it would actually be like on the job? Mm -hmm. um, so we started teaching that and that really became heavily, especially Active Directory at the time, nobody was teaching that. Um, so Active Directory hacking and pen testing and what that looks like and just reshaping the the thought of training and then taking that and instead of charging a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand dollars whatever everybody else is charging for their courses charging thirty dollars for it so that people can come in and be able to afford it uh, my background i grew up very very poor so um, the idea of having somebody priced out of education seemed uh, not so great to me so we always had this mission that no matter what we did we we're going to make courses as affordable as possible and we're still at uh, a thirty dollar price tag today. That's awesome. I I love the whole idea of democratization of education, and uh, you know, living in the U.S. and having three children of my own, and, and, and you know the exorbitant rates that we have to pay for university education these days, and it's it's really sad. I'm editorializing a bit here, but I having spent a fair amount of my time overseas. Um, and you see the, all the different paradigms, but you know, all my friends from Europe, most of them, it's, it's free, uh, higher education or, or heavily, heavily subsidized. And so it's affordable and accessible for everybody. And, you know, with the internet and, and things like Khan Academy and what you're doing, this is the, that's an amazing new trend. I'm wondering, and, and, and maybe pen testing and ethical hacking is a, it's kind of one of the spaces that it's opened up to it more quickly. But I'm wondering, like, you know, some people want that brand. So, hey, I went to, you know, the Harvard Extension and I got this uh, certificate or I actually went to a university and got my computer science degree versus, you know, um, I, I self-studied online, but I learned the practical, real stuff. And I think you referenced, you know, the interview process. So that seems to be a high priority versus a credential. I mean, what are your thoughts on that versus, you know, the traditional credentials versus you do have the, the hands-on skills? Yeah, cybersecurity is one of those fields where it really doesn't matter what your background is as long as you can do the work. Uh, and we're kind of in that supply and demand right now of we have more jobs than we have qualified people. And the qualified people that we do have are just bouncing around to new jobs to get new salaries. So uh, you're seeing a very, very high barrier of entry, but also very high salaries. And if you're qualified and you come through and do the work, you can easily make six figures in this field. So it's not one of those things that you have to go get a computer science background. You can be an accountant. Uh, you can be all, I mean, I've literally seen all walks of life come in and change into cybersecurity. So the issue with cybersecurity education at a university level is that cybersecurity changes so fast that the curriculum can't keep up with it. Um, even, even then, a lot of the cybersecurity stuff that comes out is just theory. It's yeah. not practical, hands-on, we're doing labs and we're, we're learning. So uh, yeah, it, it, we honestly prefer people that are self-studied and that can come in and, and have some sort of proof. Um, you know, and, and that, that goes a much longer way. Like there's boxes that you check, sure. If you've got a degree, checkbox, nice. Uh, you know, so certain certifications, checkbox, nice. Work experience, checkbox. So what is the combination of the three? And then how are you going to stand out against people that have one or two or three of those? Um, what What's going to be your differentiator there? So um, we'll take practical experience all day over a formal education. Um, at, at the end of the day, it just matters that you can come in and do the work. That, that's awesome. And um, I guess... Makes me makes me optimistic about the the state of affairs with with education, especially in this space. 
how do you keep your, I mean, you mentioned that the universities, oftentimes their content is outdated and is, is very theoretical. How do you keep your content fresh? Good question. Yeah, we're, we're constantly evolving. So it's just making sure that we're staying in touch with the, the landscape. And it helps for me personally to be in the weeds and all of our instructors are still in the weeds. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm running CEO doing business, but I still get my hands dirty in pen tests. So like, I'm still having to sharpen my sword and make sure that I know what's going on out there in the field. And then I can still relay that information back to the community. So um, I'm still very much in practice, as are all the instructors that we have in, in the courses. So anytime something changes, or we feel that there's something significant, we'll go in there and update or modify the courses and, um, you know, just keep that keep that engine going. It's something that is a, a forever long course, like the, the course just modifies and adapts and changes as the world changes. So what, I think what you're saying is because you're actually out there in the field, you, every time that you engage with a customer, that's a learning opportunity. Um, and you take that information. And if it's currently not in your course, you adapt your courses uh, with it. Um, I'm wondering outside of that, is there, are there other resources that you look to, whether that's industry associations or newsletters or anything like that to just say, Hey, you know what, here's the, 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 the latest threat landscape, or here, here are some, um, some known issues that, that have just recently come to light. Yeah. So there's different ways that you can curate that information. Uh, for me personally, I'm a big fan of community. So being a part of like a Discord community, uh, Twitter's another community, the LinkedIn's a community, even our our internal like uh, communications channels for work is a community. And within those communities, those are going to be the first ones to break news in terms of, hey, there's this new zero day, there's this new attack that's out there, and here's what we're seeing, or here's how we're detecting uh, certain attacks, and here's how we can evade certain antivirus or, or whatever. So all that information's out there. Uh, there can be a lot of noise, so there are ways to curate that information, whether if you have a Discord channel, you can curate certain like uh, RSS feeds and bring those specifically into your into your Discord. If you've got Twitter, you can have something called TweetDeck that's already built in where you can curate the views and the people that you want to see when you go onto Twitter. Uh, so there's different ways around doing it. Ultimately, for me, it's just being involved in community and then our internal community is pretty good. We share news articles and certain things as, as they come out and we discuss them and uh, we make sure like it's a good way to keep your, your team up to date as well. So we're always sharing information with each other and learning from each other beyond just being hands-on in the field. Makes a lot of sense. And with 170,000 plus alumni from your programs, that's a huge community. And I would think that would be an asset for anybody that's gone through one of your courses. Um, Talk a little bit about, who your students are and are they are these people that are right out of university or they haven't had their degree yet or are these people like yourself who've started a career and then they want to do a pivot it's it's everybody it's there's not like a specific uh i mean there's probably demographics i think uh the typical demographics somewhere between 18 and 44 um they're more likely to be male they're more likely to be from the us or from india um and that's standard but we have literally, I think at this point, represented every country. And we've got, I think the youngest I've seen go through the courses is 13. And the oldest was maybe like, I think 77, 78 going through. So um, some people take it for leisure. Some people take it to just learn a new topic. Some people look at it as a, a way to transition. So 
um, ethical hacking on on a surface level sounds really cool and really fun, and it really is. Um, so it's it's one of those things that it can generate. And I think we touched on this in the beginning: is how are we getting so many views in such a niche topic? It's just a it's a topic that sounds so cool. Now the majority of people honestly won't stick with it. It is what is considered an advanced topic, but it's just like programming, computer science, or anything else. Like that interests a lot of people. Not everybody sticks with it, but it's still something that can be fun or can be interesting. So uh, we see all walks of life come through the program. Well, I, I, I want to come back to that point about just kind of supplementing your your knowledge base or your education, because I, I think that's really important. But for those people who are really focused on getting into ethical hacking, um, whether they're, let's just say it's a mid, mid-career professional and they want to make that pivot, uh, of course, you know, in addition to taking your course, what what are the, the one, two, three things that they must do or they should do to kind of accelerate that transition? Yeah, so um, basically foundation skills are, are the most important. So we kind of talked about those already, but to just rally them off, uh, basic help desk skills, networking skills, security, Linux, Python. Uh, if you get those foundations out of the way, it's just like building a house. You want to have a strong foundation. Otherwise, we see a lot of people just, I've got no IT experience. I'm going to jump into your course. I'm like, you're making a big mistake because you're going to be very confused very fast if you if you don't understand the basics. So getting the basics out of the way, understanding then the basics of hacking, which are, are very, very simple. Um, and then you start getting into, okay, now I understand some of the tools. I want to really understand the methodology. Uh, so different types of pen tests, again, external, internal, web app, what does the methodology look like for that? And then supplementing that. So like our course gives you all the foundational skills that you could ever want for for that, but it doesn't mean that it's going to click with everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you might need outside resources. And there are great outside resources. There's a lot of lab based, and that's what I'm a big advocate for. So like hands-on, getting, making sure you're touching, not not just the theory, like making sure that there's a hands-on experience. So uh, a good example of that is something called Port Swigger Academy. Uh, they make a tool called Burp Suite, which is a very famous web application testing tool. Uh, they have free labs online that mm-hmm. are out there just to teach you and, and help you learn the web application side of things. So a great supplement. Um, there's a platform called TryHackMe, similar fashion. It's more robust. It's not even just hacking. It started out as more of a hacking platform, but now they've got like defensive tools on there and reverse engineering and other forms of cybersecurity. And that's a great supplemental tool. And I think it's like $10 a month. So uh, there are platforms out there like that. Of course, there's other courses, there's other resources, and then you can go above and beyond. Like you could take an advanced web app course or an advanced active directory or red teaming course and keep elevating your skills above what you're learning in this foundational process. That's some, some excellent advice. What do you, um, in, in terms of the, the professional, maybe they're you know, a board member or they're on the C-suite, or maybe it's even a CISO who's not very technical, but kind of wants to be aware of the general practices uh, and processes that ethical hackers follow. Do you, do you have a course that you would recommend for, for somebody like that? I mean, I think, <laughs> I think ours is really good uh, yeah. without trying to be biased. It's just... <laughs> It's one of those things that we've seen a bunch of C-suites come through, and that's where we make a lot of connections. Um, and it's one of those things that, again, if you've got the foundational understandings, we we hold your hand through the entirety of the process. Like you're not expected to understand or know anything about hacking when you get into it. So uh, if you're a C-suite who understands a little bit of the moving parts of 
of networking, maybe at one point you were a networker, you were something like that, then yeah, that's there. Um, in terms of like high level overview, it could be a good course if you just wanted to watch the videos, not necessarily follow along, just to see what the attacks are out there and what are some of the defenses that you could be thinking about uh, without having to actually go in and fully understand what it is you're doing. But more or less, okay, we talked about the LMNR, that's bad because hashes come around the network. Okay, well, let's turn that off. Um, that could be a very high level overview without having to dig deep into the tool set, why you're doing it, what the protocols are going on behind the scenes. Um, so still understanding the high level is is really important for for anybody working in security. Excellent. Let's um let's talk about actual security and best practices. And what advice would you give to somebody who's running a small, medium-sized business? And maybe they've got a couple locations and people are have their own devices and then company devices and you know the typical number of apps and uh, data configurations what what should be top of mind for them yeah uh so first things first is um making sure that your password policy is strong um that is the biggest thing that we see because with like, for example, an external pen test where we're asked to go and try to break into an organization from the outside, most likely the organization is going to be patched. Uh, we're not going to see a situation where we find like direct remote code execution, um, huge glaring vulnerability because there's bots scanning the internet 24 seven. They're gonna find that way before we do. That company's already had a lot of problems <laughs> that they had that out there. So um, what we're looking at is passwords, huge. Um, the longer the password, the better. We operate at 14 characters internally for us. Um, but if you can do a longer password, great. Um, teaching your employees cybersecurity, like password management and using a password manager, something like uh, like a 1Password, a Bitwarden, a LastPass, those types of tools. And then having unique passwords for all of your applications, not repeating the same password over and over. Very important. Uh, Multi-factor authentication, huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, get, just stopping us in our tracks because you got to think of the the kill chain there. Um, even if we can somehow guess your very long password, your 14 character password, now we have to go in and we have to get around multi-factor. So making sure that the multi-factor is set up correctly and that preferably it's a token base, it's not a push um, because we can do what's called fatigue and just push uh, a notification until somebody eventually accepts it just to get it to go away. Um, and, and so those are very important. And then training is very important. You can have all the policies and protocols and everything in place. But if your people don't understand what a, a fish looks like or a vish or a smish or whatever, they don't understand what social engineering looks like, um, what's going to happen when somebody does guess their password, even if you got MFA enabled and somebody calls and says, hey, it's Bob from IT. Uh, you know, I just sent you a code. Can you just tell me what that code is? And that works surprisingly a, a large amount of the time. So um if you do those those few things, I mean, there's plenty more, but if you just start there, you're going to prevent probably 90 to 95% of the attacks that are out there. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that that is where we're getting in the most is, is getting in on, um, you know, login panels that don't have MFA or getting in with weak passwords and finding our way around. And uh, it's just, it's a puzzle. You can think you have everything in place, but if one piece of that puzzle is like we talked about is missing, uh, or one piece of that security is missing, even if it's a tiny piece, we can find a way around it. So um, just putting in strong policies early on is a, a great way to to make yourself more secure in the long run, especially as you scale as a business. That, that's some great advice. I'm, I'm just curious, 
as part of your pen testing activities, do you ever do that call? Hey, this is um, Heath from IT. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to send you a code. And can you tell, do you, do you guys actually do that? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, social engineering is a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. So if a company is coming to us, it, it depends on the company. A lot of pen testing now is dictated by compliance. Sure. Um, but you, you do get, I would say, maybe 20, 25% of companies that are coming there just because they care about security. Um, not to say the compliance ones don't, but they're being forced to do it. Uh, right. So check that the box. ones, yeah, exactly. <laughs> check the box. So uh, the ones that are coming to you for security, they're more likely to spend a little bit more. They're more likely to want to engage in some of the more realistic things, which I think social engineering is probably the most realistic. So um, yeah, we, we do phishing. I think phishing is kind of, I don't want to say it's outdated, it still works, but it's one of those things that's becoming more difficult to to get through because you've got defense systems in place. You've got email headers that say, hey, this is an external sender, even as you can make it as close to as possible as it looks like internally, uh, you still have those warnings and things. People still click links, but uh, it's becoming more difficult. So we're going to vishing, which is voice, or smishing, which is text, and having a lot of success there. Like we just did one not that long ago where uh, we called up and just said, hey, it's uh, you know so-and-so from IT. I need your password. We need to be able to, to reset something on your account. And just immediately gave the password, like wow. no, no questioning, no anything. And that happens more frequently than we'd like to think. Um, so yeah, I mean, any, any form of social engineering and it gets pretty advanced depending on you, what you are as a company, like the larger the company, especially we get into like fortune 100s, things with, uh, intellectual property or IP, and you might start seeing like advanced nation state type attacks where people will go and literally move to that location and try to befriend somebody at that location and uh, try to, you know, get them to maybe plug a USB drive in or try to understand their password or something along those lines. And it can get really advanced. Like we call it, we call it red teaming at that point. But um, yeah, so there's all forms of social engineering within ethical hacking. There's even jobs dedicated strictly to social engineering and uh, going back to breaking into buildings. Uh, that's a form of social engineering as well. So um, there's there's a lot out there for hacking. It's a very broad topic. That just sounds so much fun. It sounds like so much fun. <laughs> it's like, a blast. It really is. <laughs> that's just like, gotcha. And of course, it's it's all a learning opportunity, right? I mean, no, hopefully nobody's get, really getting in trouble. But uh, hey, you know, you learn about vulnerabilities. And the, um, the thing now with some of the AI-powered voice generation where you can um, get, get a clip of somebody's voice and then take that and use that as a, it's kind of a, a core to create a whole nother, you know, line of text or speech. And so you can take, I can record this conversation and then turn, turn that and um, the AI can generate your voice and, and, and imitate you. Yeah. It's like the, the old soundboards brought back again and yeah, it's exactly what it is. And uh, between that and being able to um, being able to clone a number and it show up as that person, um, you know, I just watched a video on a scam that went down where um, somebody was cloning. Somebody found out this person's information, found out their little sister's information, cloned the little sister's phone, and then called the person and said, um, "I've got your little sister. You know, I need X amount of oh money in, in ransomware, but it looks like it's calling from the phone." And all these things. So, yeah, you're going to send the money and just, uh, you know, pay, pay the and it's a small ransom. It's not, you know, anything yeah. crazy. Um, but that, that's the scams that are going on now because people can can do these and they can, uh, you know, imitate voices and all sorts of other things. So they're getting really sophisticated. It's not just the the gift card hacks anymore. It's um, very sophisticated. 
Uh, it sounds pretty scary. It, it means job security for you and you know your students, but uh, at the same time, it's very scary. And I, I, I just love having these conversations because the more awareness you can create, the better, because that's a, a huge part of it. Um, earlier, I asked you for tips for SMB, you know, uh, business owner. What about a household? Um, somebody. Like I think it comes to to that as well. So it comes down to passwords, not reusing the same passwords for everything. Um, you know, so even if it comes to training on just get understanding what a password manager is and how to use that. Um, and then you can have, I think, in my opinion, you can have weak passwords for some things. Like if you want your Netflix account to have a password that you remember, who cares? Like, I, you know, everybody's had their Netflix password hacked at one point. So that's not the end of the world. But like when you start talking about devices that um, can be logged into and then that becomes critical or can get onto your network or something along those lines, then you have a problem. Or if your bank account password is the same as your router password, it's the same as everything else in your house, then you have a problem. So uh, you have to think strategically about the passwords that you're using and think about the complexity. Just It doesn't have to be something, just because it's complex doesn't mean it can't be memorable. It could be something that's a, a long sentence or like, um, you know, like I like long watch it, walk, walks on the beach or whatever. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something crazy. Uh, and that would be really important and just making sure you're not like exposing yourself more so than than you need to um like i go on walks around the neighborhood all the time and my phone will pop up with like here's a printer that's exposed you know and and you can just easily connect to these devices and now you have internal access into a network um same thing with like sharing a wi-fi password i don't share the wi-fi password we have a specific guest password with with people Goodness. so um and we've got alerting that happens anytime a device joins our network so um, routers can do that nowadays, especially if you're, you know, if you're a little tech savvy, you can put your own router in, uh, you can have alerting for when devices join your network, you can actually, uh, whitelist or blacklist devices on the network and only allow certain things. So, um, ultimately people aren't really trying to get into your home network. It's more so your bank accounts, more so, um, understanding scam calls, understanding who is going to call you. Um, nobody's ever going to call you and ask for your password. doesn't matter who it is. Um, so like understanding that, understanding, uh, you know, it, it's more of people preying on those who don't know or preying on those that are that are older, maybe are familiar with technology, but it's still getting getting very sophisticated. So just making sure you're you're cautious and, um, you know, you can always dial somebody back if your credit card's calling you or your bank's calling you, just call, ask to call back and then call back on the, you know, on a number on the back of your card as an example. So uh, just be be paranoid. It's okay to be paranoid in, in these situations for sure. I think that's some, some awesome advice again. Hey, um, so what about future plans for, for you and TCM Security? Uh, just keep chugging along. So we've got more courses coming out this month and then we're just going to, I mean, we're just keep releasing courses, keep releasing certifications and uh, just hopefully continuing to disrupt the industry. That's really, really where we're at. We're just, uh, we're always expanding and um, always growing, hopefully. Awesome, Heath. Hey, well, I, I really enjoyed this conversation and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on Secure Talk. And I'd like to wish you and the rest of your team just an amazing 2023. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate having me.